Well, uh, I want to start our series on John just with a little caveat. And uh, I want to say that this isn't going to be the most practical of teaching series that we've done before on one level. So uh, this isn't going to be this particular talk is not going to be three steps to this or five steps to that. And uh, there's a real place for talks like this, uh, talks like that even. Um, but the, the truth is getting to know Jesus and getting to know him well and having a closeness with him and a dynamic, vibrant relationship with him is the most practical thing that any of us can do. And uh, on a very real level, the answer, what are you no, doing? No, no, sorry. Is this going to annoy you? It's going to annoy you. slightly everybody. annoying me. <laughs> let's, let's move this. You carry on teaching. I can't carry on teaching with you. <laughs> Okay, on one of the weirder moments of my life. <laughs> um, what was I saying? I don't, now I'm sort of like, I can only even turn my head the whole way around because you've trapped it so tightly. Oh, mate, just Okay, let's just no carry on. Really um, where was I? Oh yeah, closeness with Jesus is the most practical thing that any of us, any of us can aim for. And that's just because when we, really get, when we really get his kindness and we really trust his faithfulness, and we are convinced of his goodness, then we can deal with any situation, however hard it seems, because we know the one who's, who's got us and who leads us. And so although it doesn't seem practical, it's actually incredibly practical. And uh, Mike, last week, if you didn't catch his talk on John's Gospel, I would strongly encourage you to go back and watch it because it was a fantastic introduction. It's the only good talk I've ever heard him do. And it was a fantastic introduction to John's Gospel. And what he said as part of that was that it's the perfect gospel, really, if we want to just focus on who is Jesus, because that's what, that's what John's focus is. And in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, when Jesus is teaching, his favourite subject is the kingdom, of, the kingdom of God. So he tells a lot of parables and stories about the kingdom of God and teaches about the kingdom. But in John's gospel, the main subject that he talks about is actually who he is. And there are, as, as, there's no parables in the whole of the gospel, but Jesus uses a lot of pictures to describe himself. Um, Mike mentioned that there are seven I am sayings in the gospel. And I want to look at the first of those sayings, and it's this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the, the, the story, the background of this particular saying is, uh, you can find it in John chapter six. And what happens is Jesus is out in the wilderness and there's a massive crowd of people that come to listen to him. And it's a famous story as part of, uh, he just, he wants to feed them. And so he takes a picnic that's given to him by a little boy. It's just an incredible, miraculous story. He breaks the bread and the fish and he distributes it. And there's, there's 5,000 people were told, but actually when you wouldn't, that would just have been the men that were counted. So when you include women and children as well, we're looking at a crowd of easily 15,000 people that he feeds with just this tiny little picnic. And at the end of him feeding the crowd that we're told there's loads of food left over. And so they gather it all in baskets and, and then the next day, what happens is Jesus is in, in a different part of, uh, he's gone over to the other side of Lake Galilee and a whole load of the crowd who were there and got the free lunch came looking for him. And they, uh, they, they go up to him and basically they want some more free food. And this is the exchange that Jesus has with them. This is John chapter six, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, 
they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you're looking for me because you want another free meal. And he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread for heaven, from heaven to eat. So really they're saying, okay, will you give us some more bread? They're still fixated on having some more free food. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so in the course of this conversation, Jesus is trying to get them to move from thinking about food for their stomachs to, uh, to talking about himself as bread. And um, what I've been trying to wrestle with as I've kind of prepared for this, tried to prepare for this, is what is he saying when he says, I am the bread of life? Obviously, that's a picture, but what is he using that picture to communicate to us? Um, first of all, he describes himself as bread. And that, on many levels, is, is not a, a glamorous description of Almighty God. He's, he, he says, behold, I am the loaf of Hovis. I am the Hovis. Um, why, why is he using bread? And, and uh, the, the, the background to it is actually not just the feeding in the, in the, of the 5,000, but if we go back to the story of Exodus... In the famous story of the Exodus, the, the Jews kind of celebrated and, and retold and memorized and um, in all sorts of ways this story because it was the great story of God rescuing them. And God rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He led them into the promised land and en route they went through the wilderness and they spent 40 years in the desert. Now pretty early on in that time they, they had no food and so they complained and they cried out to God. And uh, God um, gave them bread from heaven, manna from heaven, which is why they said in this exchange with Jesus, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So the Israelites would go to sleep, they would wake up the next morning, they would come out of their tents and the ground was covered in this heavenly bread and they would gather that and they would eat that for the day. And that happened every single day. And this picture, is what Jesus has at the back of his mind when he says, I am the bread of life. Um, he just fed them bread and fish, 5,000 people, but he doesn't say, I am the fish of life. He says, I am the bread of life because he's thinking of this heavenly bread that has come down. And he says, that was just, that is just a picture of me. And so in, in the story of the Exodus and for the Israelites, God literally sustained them. He, that every day they would be hungry and every day God would give them what they needed to satisfy their hunger. And Jesus has just done that for the crowd 
the 5,000 or so that he's fed uh, in the wilderness, they're all fed with miraculous bread and they come back to him the next day. But this day he says, no, no, there's something deeper. Um, there's, there's, there's a more profound hunger that I've come to satisfy than simply just your stomach. Um, the bread that I just fed you in the wilderness was a sign that points to who I am. I am the bread who has come down from heaven to feed you. And uh, I know this is going to sound cliche um, because I've heard this said so many times by so many preachers, uh, it does come across like a Christian cliche. But the reason sometimes these things are said so many times is because they're actually true. And uh, the, the reality is, I'm just going to say it anyway, the reality is all of us have needs. And we have immediate needs. We might have a bill that needs to be paid or we've got a conflict that needs to be resolved or we've got uh, an exam to pass or something. And God wants to meet those needs. He wants to, in the same way that Jesus fed the people that were hungry when they were listening to his teaching, God wants to provide for those needs. But also, and again, I know this sounds cliche, but it's true. Also, every single human being has deeper needs not just those immediate pressing concerns, but we have a need deep in our souls for purpose and for truth and for freedom and for love. And what all of us do in life is we try and find ways of satisfying that hunger inside of us. And um, we, we go looking in all sorts of places. Ultimately, what happens is we find that we just get hungry again. And this is what Jesus is getting at a little bit when he says, look, don't go working and looking and putting all your energy into getting a food that will never really satisfy you. And in our world, and we're guilty of this as much as others sometimes, we go looking for money, but no one who has money ever has enough. Or we go looking for achievements, but every person I know who's achieved a great deal still finds insecurities there. Or we go looking for uh, entertainment and distraction, but there's always another itch that needs to be scratched when the box set is finished. Um, Jesus is using this picture to communicate something absolutely profound about himself. And what he is saying is in the same way that the manna satisfied the physical hunger of the Israelites. And in the same way that the bread I gave you yesterday fed you when we were out there in the wilderness next to Lake Galilee. He is saying, I have come to sustain and nourish and strengthen your soul. I have come to meet those, that deep hunger inside of you, that thirst in you for purpose and identity and security and love. You find satisfaction for that in me. If you come to me, you'll never be hungry again. If you drink of me, as it were, you'll never go thirsty again. It's in me. And when we think about a person sort of sustaining us in that way, it's, it's a bit of a weird switch to go from food that sustains us to a person who nourishes us. Um, but probably the best pictures of this around us that we've got are relationships. And so think particularly of, of a relationship of a mother and her baby. You know, when she feeds the baby, she is giving the baby milk that obviously satisfies physically the baby's hunger, but she's also feeding the baby security. 
She's feeding the baby identity. She's feeding the baby love. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's what I will feed you. And um, what I think is incredible, and one of the things that, that stuns me about this picture is that, that the, the picture of God blessing us is not God who sends us care packages from a distance. This is God who comes close to do it himself. And uh, that before Christianity is about anything that we do for him, it's about what he does for us. When I go to eat a piece of bread, the bread nourishes me, not the other way around. And although God gives us roles and he calls us to serve him, absolutely, and to lay down our lives for him, yes, the foundation and the way this relationship will always work is he is the one who nourishes us. We bring our hunger and in him we find it satisfied. So he says, I am the bread of life. Now the other thing that's part of the statement is Jesus says what the bread, as it were, contains. In the same way that in a supermarket you get the list of sort of ingredients that tells you what's inside the food that you're about to eat. Jesus is saying, here's what's in the bread, life. And elsewhere he says, this is verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, in English, we only have one word for life. But in Greek, the, the original Greek that uh, the New Testament was written in, there are two words that were used for life. One is the word bios, which speaks of biological life. It speaks of just existence. And the other word is zoe. Am I saying that right? Zoe. Zoe. The other word is zoe. Which, is, which speaks of quality of life. And so for us, we, still, we, we do get at that. We know what we mean when we're saying that, but it's just we've got the same word for it. So I noticed the other day on Mike's Twitter feed that he, had, he put out a tweet saying, I'm sitting here um, writing cards to people and drinking ginger tea and thinking to myself, this is the life. And he just realised, oh my word, I must be getting old. Um, but, but we know what he means when he says, this is the life, even if for none of us, um, that sounds very exciting. And, and for me, I, I know what I mean when I say, oh, this is really living. You know, I have moments, for me, it generally is when I'm at the end of a long day, I'm on the deck at the back of our house and I'm looking out at the, the sky and the sun is setting and it's even better if I've got some, some, something I'm barbecuing. And I just, in moments like that, I think, yeah, this is, this is living. This is being alive. Um, whatever your version of that is, we don't just mean existence. What we mean is aliveness. And uh, I was talking to Mike because obviously he is the original Greek the other day about the Greek language and you were saying to me about Zoe. Yeah, it was a, a Greek expression. Uh, this person, echi zoe, um, this person has life and it's like, has, is full of life, is mm. full of joy, is, yeah. And... Yeah, and so, and so when Jesus is saying, this is the bread of Zoe, that's the word that he uses, this is the bread of life, what he means is, I am the bread of wholeness, I am the bread of aliveness, I am the bread of joy. And so just consider that as we consider who he is. In the same way that, you know, the smell of freshly baked bread, you know, have you ever smelt that? It's, oh man, it gets, the, it gets the juices going, as it were, it gets your appetite going. Um, the smell of this bread is the smell of peace in the midst of anxiety. 
the smell of this bread is the smell of wholeness in the midst of brokenness. It's the smell of hope in the midst of despair. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, at the moment, uh, am more hungry for that than I have ever been. And one of the questions that, that I would have is, well, what does it cost, this bread? If he is the bread of life, what does it cost? And on one level, the answer is, it's, it's, he's a free gift. You know, God did not charge the Israelites for the manna in the wilderness. It was, it was there given to them because of his goodness. Jesus did not charge the people for the meal that he fed them miraculously in the wilderness. And on one level, the, it's, this is a free gift. And by that, what we mean is we don't need to, to earn it. It's not given to people who deserve it. It's given to anybody who comes. And yet, the other side of it is this. What does it cost us to receive this bread? Everything. One little thing. Everything. But it's, it's, it's the best exchange we could ever make. Uh, think about it. I think about it like, imagine if Jeff Bezos rang us up, you know, the guy that founded Amazon and who's just seen his wealth go up by like $100 trillion or whatever it's been and it's since we've all been buying everything on Amazon. Um, and imagine if he rang, rang me and said, hey, Andy, uh, I'd like to offer you a deal. I'll give you all the money in my bank account in exchange for all the money in your bank account, Andy. Now, I would not think twice about that. On one level, it costs me everything, but on another level, it's just the most ridiculous offer I could ever receive. And Jesus, when he says, I'm the bread of life, that's, that's kind of like, if you're hungry, you bring your hunger, you bring your need, you bring all that you have, all your life, and in exchange, I will pour my life into you. And, um, and he goes on in this metaphor to talk about literally eating and drinking Jesus himself. So as we, as we read through the gospel, we'll see the rest of John 6, it actually becomes really graphic. Jesus says to them, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And understandably, they all get pretty confused when they hear him say that. They don't understand, you know, what is he talking about? Um, and there's a lot in that picture. One of the things it speaks of is it speaks of communion, the bread and the wine that represent and symbolize for us the body and blood of Jesus broken on the cross. It speaks to us of the cross, that the way that, that we receive the bread is the bread is broken, just as Jesus's body is broken. And the way that we receive life is through him giving himself over to death. So it speaks of that. But if we come down to the, zero in on the question, all right, he is the bread of life. I want to receive him. I want to eat, as it were, him and drink him. How do I do that? And the way that we do that is we come to him and we trust him. We choose to put our trust into him. Jesus says to them in the passage that we read, here's the work you've got to do. Believe in me. Trust in me. And if we just continue this picture of eating, there's a couple of things that, that I found helpful to ponder on it. Here's the first one. When it comes to eating, no one else can eat for you. Eating is something that we have to do for ourselves. It's a personal thing. So if we sit in a restaurant with somebody and... Um, 
you know, and they're eating across the table, we don't get filled up. They might try and eat for two or three people, but it still doesn't fill us up. The only way we get full is when we eat for ourselves. And in the same way, when it comes to trusting Jesus, there is a point for all of us where that is something that has to be deeply personal. And uh, what, what's, what's challenging, one of the things that's challenging about this time that we're going through at the moment is because we're not able to meet in the way that we would normally, we don't have in, in, in the way that we've been used to for years, this way that we can um, lean on each other. And we're meant to lean on each other. The church is designed to function together. We're meant to depend and encourage and support and carry one another in so many ways. That's, that's a good thing and it's a healthy thing. But also for each of us, we are also to have a personal, individual relationship with Jesus for ourselves. And one of the questions that I've been reflecting on for myself is, when I don't have others around me all the time, like maybe I'm used to, where is my own trust in him? Where does that leave me with my own faith in him? Because it isn't enough for me just if my parents trust in him. It isn't enough for me just if my partner trusts in him or my friend trusts in him, but I need to eat. This has to be something for me. And so the key is for it to go for us from being Jesus is the savior of the world to Jesus is my savior. Jesus is the one that, you know, this family that I'm a part of trusts to Jesus is the one that I trust myself. I choose to come to you, Lord. I choose to trust in you. I've been kind of like digging into this passage a lot to prepare for this. And uh, just this week, um, I found myself waking up, hitting snooze 15 times as I do, but trying to wake up and then spend some time with God just before my day begun. And I remember dragging myself out of bed and sitting on the stairs, which is the only room in my house at the moment where there's not a baby, and, uh, and just praying. And as I was praying at the start of it, I just, I felt knackered and worn down. It's been a grind, hasn't it, the last six, seven months. And I felt anxious, um, which I do a lot at the moment. And I just sat there and I just took this passage because I've been looking at it anyway and just, the f and just almost held that truth. You are the bread of life. You are the one who wants to strengthen me. You're the one who wants to nourish me. And I just sat there not saying anything other than just being with him and contemplating that. And there was a strength that came because this isn't an empty promise, it's his truth. So eating, we've got to do it for ourselves. But here's the other thing about eating. We've got to do it regularly. And, uh, you know, the manna that was given to the Israelites in the wilderness was enough for a day. And then they needed to come back the next day. And the way it worked was not that they could be like camels and kind of stock up, you know, just eat a ridiculous amount of food and stock up for a month. Uh, it's that they, however much you ate the day before, you'll still be hungry. So you have to come back for more. And... That's kind of how it works, again, in, in, with Jesus as our bread of life. There'll always be abundant provision when we come, so we'll never go hungry. But we do need to come to him all the time. We need to come back to him regularly. And it's not enough just to smell the food. It's not enough to sort of look at the food or to talk about the food. The key comes with eating. That's when we get satisfied. 
And because of the way that I am wired, I try and make everything into this intellectual, let's work it all out and try and pin it all down. And do you know what? That there is a place for trying to work out the properties of food and, and talking about it, but there's also a place for just eating that which is in front of us, just receiving that which is offered to us. And in fact, that's the only way it becomes real. So the metaphor Jesus is giving to us is one of digestion, basically, and nourishment through digestion. Think about it like this. I, um, I've realized over the years in my house that if there's some tasty food around, like donuts or chocolate, um, there's, I've tried hiding it in various hiding places, but sooner or later, either Beth or the kids finds it, and then it's gone. So I've discovered there is really only one place I could put it where they can't get it from me, and that's in my mouth and in my belly. Once it's in here, no one can steal it from me. If possession is nine-tenths of the law, then eating it is all the ten-tenths. Um, and in the same way, we have this God who wants to provide for us. And so many, um, so many things that will try and snatch that away from us and rob us of our peace. The devil will try and get that truth from us. Other people will try and get it. Just the world that we're a part of and our own mistakes will try and snatch that truth from us. And so the only thing we can do, the best thing we can do is try and digest it. Try and take it in and receive it and eat it. And the way that we can do that really practically is take one aspect of who he is and just chew on it munch on it. So for me, one of the things that's become clear to me in the last several years is that I have a major need for approval. I've got a real hunger there that I've become aware of more than ever. And rather than pretend that hunger doesn't exist, rather than try and satisfy it in a way that I know ultimately won't satisfy it, what I've been trying to do, and I do it better some weeks than other weeks, but more recently, is bring it to him and receive the fact that he chose me before the world was made and that he loves me every day since and that his love is going to endure forever. And just to sit there with my God, with my Jesus, knowing that he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. And to do that as often as I need to, day after day after day, what happens then is in the same way that when bread gets in our bodies, it begins to be broken down. And then when it's broken down, the, the energy, the, the strength, the sustenance of the food spreads to every part of us. In the same way as we just receive again and again and again who he is and what he's done and the why, which is love, then his life begins to work through us. And it begins to break down old habit, old habits and birth new things. I finish with this. These are days where many of us feel weak, we feel tired, and we feel afraid. And it's days where probably we could use the word wilderness to describe it. It's a desert time for lots of us. But we are told that there is a feast in the wilderness, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is not just a good moral teacher, he is not just a, an example for us to follow. We're told here by Jesus himself that he is God Almighty become a person, that he is the bread from heaven, and that he has come because he loves us to nourish 
strengthen and bring us life in all its fullness. The offer is there for us every single day to choose to say yes and to trust him and in doing that to receive from him.